(laughs) It did not elude me that we're going to do something fun and then me. Did you notice that? (laughs) I did catch that. One of the things that I have done in life is I have coached youth football. I coached my son when he was in third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grades. And uh, it was a very enlightening experience, to say the least. I found out that uh, a career in coaching was not for me. That was the one thing. But we used to play games, and when we would play the games, the announcer would say, pass caught by number 17, whatever. Uh, Or they would say, tackle made by so-and-so. And that would be the way that we would kind of go through the game. And I remember getting an email from a parent saying, I just don't think you should do that because the success of those kids makes the other kids feel badly. So is there any way that instead of announcing who makes the catch, announce who makes the catch and who was blocking on the catch or who was on the field at the time, I guess. I don't know. But sometimes we get caught up in this Fear of celebrating success. Fear of celebrating everything's okay. Because if we say it out loud, then God's going to do something to us. Bertrand Russell, who was a Pulitzer Prize winning British philosopher and social critic, said this. He said, it is preoccupation with possession more than anything else that prevents men from living freely and nobly. A preoccupation with possessions. You see, possessions are things. And we sometimes uh, don't want to engage in saying, okay, I do have something. I do have success. I have gotten something. Uh, Oftentimes we get too caught up in saying, okay, I want more. Instead of realizing what we have and celebrating that. Uh, We work hard. And like the bumper sticker says, uh, those who die with the most stuff wins, right? Or sometimes we live by the bumper sticker, the only difference between men and boys is the cost of their toys. So I'm not talking about getting caught up and trying to get more. I'm talking this morning about helping us understand how to look at what we have when things are going well. When life is okay, how do we view things when we are experiencing success, when we are experiencing wealth or prosperity in the moment? in the day, in the week, in our lives. We will find a way to deal with that in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21. In those verses, Jesus talks to us about how to look at your your success, how to view success in life. The verse, the passage starts out in verse 13 of Luke chapter 12, when someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then Jesus said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. In verse 13, someone just literally yells out to Jesus, seeing him as a teacher or as a rabbi, tell my brother to divide the inheritance right. Now, this was not an uncommon thing because oftentimes the rabbis would bring law to bear on civil activities. And the inheritance usually went like this. The the firstborn son got it all, and then it would be distributed how he saw fit. 
And obviously this guy doesn't like the way it's been distributed. He wants more. And Jesus says this. He says, man, uh, that's not a term of endearment. It's like he's saying, uh, mister, you, you, you've missed this whole point. The whole point is I am not here to be the arbitrator about what you get. I'm here about your heart. I'm about your soul. And Jesus will go on to teach that in the verses that follow. But he does give us kind of his philosophy. He says this, uh, watch out, be on your guard, guard yourself. It's this military term, set yourself against something. And what does Jesus say, set yourself against? Well, he says, uh, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, all kinds of this inordinate desire for riches or covetousness. So that's the stage that is set. Now, Jesus is going to say, this is the proper attitude when success comes to you. This is how you need to view your success. This statement of principle that Christ is concerned with your heart more than your possessions should become clear by the conclusion of this passage. So let's look together at Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 21, and ask ourselves three questions to determine our attitude towards success and wealth three questions to determine our view of success Uh, first of all before we get into those three please understand there is nothing wrong with possessions and wealth Uh, remember job abraham solomon even joseph of arimathea wealthy men who served god well so this morning we are looking at our attitude our hearts You see, we are living in a world where possessions and things mean so much. So how do we handle those things in light of what God says? So the three questions determine our view of material possessions. Or I guess if we stick with the what-if motif, we need to stick with this. What if we viewed things in life with eternity's values in view? What if we viewed our success and what God has given to us if we view it with eternity's values in view. The first question is found in verses 16 through 21. When I see success in my life, do I see the hand of God or my hard work? When I see success in my life, do I see the hand of God or my hard work? In verses 16 through 21, it reads like this, and he told them this parable, that is Jesus. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. In this passage, five verses, 11 times he uses the personal pronoun, either my or I. So I think you can kind of get the impression here that he thinks pretty highly of himself and the success that he's achieved. It's reminiscent of of the Greek mythological character Narcissus, who uh, when looking in the water saw something so beautiful that he fell in love with it and refused to quit looking at it. And what did he see? He saw himself. And sometimes when we have success, we have this time in our life where things are going well, we can't help but get fascinated by looking at ourselves and what we have accomplished. But it seems to be for Jesus' sake, he wants our hearts to be able to credit the hand of God. He wants our hearts to be in an understanding that God has done something marvelous on your behalf. 
Think about Lazarus. Remember, Lazarus was the one that had died. And when Jesus arrived, he said to the men in the, 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 the grave area, he said to them, move the stone away from the tomb. And then he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, do you think that the three guys or four guys that rolled the stone away went around telling everyone how great they were and how they had saved Lazarus's life? I don't think so. I think they looked at Jesus and said, what a marvelous thing Jesus has done, giving him the credit. Or think of the wedding at Canaan. Uh, the one at wedding at Canaan, remember, uh, they ran out of wine. And uh, Mary went to the servants and said, whatever Jesus asks you to do, you do it. And so they're the ones that carried in the, 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 the stone pots of water. And Jesus was the one that turned the water into wine. Now, the guys that carried the stone pots of water, they did a, a good work. But do you think they patted themselves on the back for the wonderful tasting wine? You see, we, we need to focus and understand about God and his hand in the success that we have in life. God is the one that is, is the provider. Uh, God is the one that in James chapter 117, James writes, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. You see, the world likes to measure our value by our success. And they like to look at us and say, okay, uh, you have nothing, so you are worth less. You have everything, so you are worth more. But instead, God says, look at it as my hand working and providing so much for you. Look at it and see that I am a part of what's happening in your life. God gives so that we can praise him. Not so that we can fixate on our own image and our own success, but so that we can glorify him and magnify him because of the success and the abundance that he brings to us. Now, again, there, there's the old story. You've probably heard this one before uh, about the guy who found an old park that had been overrun by weeds and all that kind of stuff. So he goes into the park and he pulls all the weeds and he plants grass and he repairs all of the buildings and the picnic tables and just makes it look so beautiful. And when the park opened, someone walked up to him and said, you know, praise God for this beautiful park. And the guy looked at him and said, you should have seen it when God had it by himself. We don't want to get lost in the fact that there is a human element. And the human element is that we are instruments and we are beneficiaries of what it is that God wants to do. Do you see the hand of God or do you see your own hard work? You see, we need to allow the success that we have, uh, the, the, the abundance that is ours, we need to see that in such a way that we are drawn to God in praise, that we are drawn to God in thankfulness for what he has done for us. Now we pause here for just a moment. And some of you are sitting there and saying, you know what, this is a big swing and a miss for you today. Because I am not experiencing any success in my life at all. Well, I have two things to comfort you with. Number one, Jeff, who is speaking at an orphan summit, will be back next Sunday. So that's the one good thing. <laughs> but the other thing is uh, uh, just a reminder of, of, of the Word of God. Uh, I've been married for uh, a number of years, and the first year was the most difficult. Uh, you know, you talk about honeymoon, and and I, I get that, and I had a honeymoon, but it was still a difficult time because of adjusting to another person in my life. Uh, you see, I was raised in a home where I had a mother and a grandmother and three sisters. I did not make my bed till I went to college, okay? 
And my wife, when we first got married, my wife said to me, she said, now, I'm happy to do the laundry, but she says, I don't wash anything that's turned inside out. You know, when you take your shirt off, you peel it off and it's inside out. She says, I don't wash that. She said, so make sure you turn it right side out. What does that even mean? And is what I thought, right? And so we're married and we're going along and my wife, you know, faithfully taking things to the laundromat because we lived in a little small apartment. And one day I noticed that I didn't have too many clean things. I was thinking, where my, where's my shirt? You know, where? And I went to my wife and I said, where's my, my clean clothes? And she said, you don't have any. I'm like, what do you mean I don't have any? And she said, you forgot to turn them right side out. And sure enough, there's a pile of my clothes turned wrong side round. Well, guess what? Ever since then, I turned it right side out, right? But the point is, you know, if I'm going to take my wife at a word, why don't I take God at his word? Who in Ephesians 4.19 says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. So this morning, if you don't have, if you aren't experiencing the abundance or the success Please take solace in the reality of what God says that he will provide for you and take care of you. So the first question we ask in order to see our own attitudes is, do we see the hand of God or hard work when we have success? The second question is, when you think about success, do you think about investment or indulgence? Do you think about investment or indulgence? Uh, Look in Luke chapter 12, uh, verse 19. The guy says this, and he says, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's all about indulgence. A self-centered person immediately thinks, what am I going to get out of this? How is this going to benefit me? The goodness, the success, the possessions that come my way, how am I going to benefit that? Well, this guy, he's going to benefit because he's going to take life easy. He's going to settle back and enjoy life and allow himself to indulge on all the things that are there. You see, a self-centered person always thinks of himself first. Now, you and I both know that the enjoyment is not the bad part here. It is okay to enjoy life. It is okay to enjoy the success and the prosperity that God brings to you. There is nothing wrong with that. But what he has forgotten is it's all about him in this passage. It is indulgent. It is self-indulgence. Instead of investing for something more, it's all about himself. There there is a book written by Timothy Keller. It's uh, called Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And in it, he quotes C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And he he makes this quote. Uh, He says, um, C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity makes a brilliant observation about humility. He says this, if we were to meet a truly humble person... We would never come away from the meeting thinking they were humble. They would not be always telling us they were a nobody because a person who keeps saying they are nobody is actually self-obsessed. The thing we would remember from meeting a truly humble person is how much they seem to be totally interested in us because the essence of humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself Less. You see the image there? You are overwhelmed with a sense of someone's humility because they are not talking about themselves. Instead, they are engaging you. They are investing in you. They are reaching for you. We need to realize or think 
Am I making a living or am I making a life? Am I taking what is happening so that I am something more? Or am I taking what success in my life I have and allowing it to be an investment in what is around us? Now, think about it in terms of the cross. Think about the cross. When Christ went to the cross, he went and suffered tremendous agony. He suffered all of that so that I could experience forgiveness of my sins. And so if he gives so much of himself so that I can have life, how much more should I give of what I have so that others can enjoy and experience the blessings of God? You say, how can I invest instead of indulge? Well, invest in children. Some of you have children. Invest in your children. Uh, Some of you uh, think about uh, this farmer and, and immediately you think, you know what? He could have had a praise service, praising God for what he's done. See, I, I never think of that kind of stuff because I'm not musical at all. You know, people say, do you play an instrument? And, you know, the old joke is, no, I don't play an instrument, but I play the radio. I don't even play the radio, you know. So I'm not musical. So thinking of a praise service, I, that misses me. But some of you, that's your thing. You love music. Praise God for your success. How else can I invest? You can share. Share what you have with someone else. Uh, distribute what it is that God has done for you to your family while they're living, to your friends while they're living. Allowing ourselves to ask the question, when I think about success, do I think about investment or indulgence? Uh, We need to think of life in terms of investment. There is nothing that frustrates me more than when I am at school and I'm planning something. You know, they give us a plan, Bell. And I'm in my plan bell, and I'm either grading or I'm getting ready for the next bell. And someone walks in, and they say, listen, I've got 20 minutes to kill. <laughs> Let's just chat. That, that, that's frustrating, isn't it? I don't want time to kill. I want time to invest in something else. Think of the success of your life and think, how can I take what it is that God has done for me and invest it so that I have a life that is not spent, but a life that is invested? Luke chapter 20, uh, chapter 12, verse 20, uh, the rich man illustrates to us that he failed to think of God, he failed to think of others, and he failed to think of his own mortality. Uh, Notice what is written in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, and a fool is one who believes his future is in his own control, not God's. And he says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? You see, Jesus wants our hearts to be such that we aren't concerned about ourselves, but about investing in others. Now, again, we, we, we pause here and you say, you know what? You've missed me this morning because success is not what I'm experiencing. Blessing is nowhere near what I'm experiencing. So then let's, let's find something for you right here, right now, where Jesus says your soul is required of you. Are you ready this morning, right now, to meet Jesus Christ? Are you ready for when he he says your soul is required to meet him and say, I'm I'm here, I'm ready, because you have trusted in what Jesus Christ has done for you, because you are trusting in the efficiency and all that the cross brings into my life, I'm trusting that. So if God demanded your presence with him right now, you're ready for that? 
This morning, we are looking at our hearts. We are looking at our hearts. And, and, and a man whose life hangs by a thread needs to think more about others than thinking about himself. Verse 21, Jesus says this, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. We are fools to settle for less than being rich towards God. Invest in eternal things, not years of selfishness and self-indulgence. So we're looking at our, our hearts this morning. Do we see the hand of God or our hard work when we have success? Do we think about success in terms of investment or self-indulgence? And the third question is this. Do material possessions cause anxiety or peace? Do material possessions and success cause anxiety or peace? Now think about this for just a moment. You see, peace comes when we realize we can't take it with us. When we realize that we can send it on ahead. I have no idea who said it first, but you've probably heard this as well. You know, you've never seen a U-Haul attached to the back of a hearse, right? No one is taking anything with them when they die. And so sometimes we get very anxious about the success that we have. And instead of it bringing peace, we're anxious, we're nervous. God's blessed me, what's coming next? What's he going to do to me? He can't be this happy with me and about what I'm doing. You know, there are people that have experienced great success in life, politically or gained power. Uh, There's a book, uh, Applause of Heaven by Max Lucado, and in it he tells the story about Joseph Stalin, who had seven different bedrooms. He never slept in the same one because he was afraid someone would find out where he was sleeping and kill him. Uh, he also had five limousines, and all five limousines had black curtains around the windows. And he would get in one, and then the other four would drive all throughout the, 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 the city. So no one knew which one he was in because he was so fearful of being killed. And yet he had all of the power, all of the success. There's even a story that he had one person guard his tea bags because he was afraid he would be poisoned when he drank his tea. So does success and the blessing of God create in you this peace of knowing that he has blessed your life, that he has given you such, and you are giving it back, and you are sharing it with others? Uh, Look what he does. Uh, Right after this story of the parable of the rich fool, he talks about do not worry in verses 22 22 through uh, 31. He talks about not worrying. And and Jeff did a great job a couple of weeks ago of talking about worry. You know, in these verses, 22 through 31, you see that worry is unnatural. Worry benefits you nothing. Worry shortens your life, if anything. You know, who worries and says, okay, you know, I want to be 6'8", and so you worry and worry and worry about it. And what happens? Well, I'm not 6'8". In fact, now I'm, I'm sick because I've worried myself to death over the fact that I'm not this big. Instead of enjoying the fact that you're healthy, And you're enjoying what God has given to you. You're worried, anxious. That's not what is to be done here. Because worry doesn't help us at all. Now, I hope that you aren't sitting there and and thinking that these verses are advocating any kind of carelessness or complacency. That's not it at all. 
Instead, these verses are trying to help us to understand that we should have a confidence in what it is that God is doing in our lives. And because God is doing something in our lives, we should be at peace knowing that he is leading and directing and taking us. On Thursday night, I was in Indianapolis. And in Indianapolis on on Thursday, I met with a group of uh, believers, leaders of a church and their pastor. And the, the night turned into triumph because of an understanding that God has a plan and a purpose. You see, the night began with this sadness that the pastor was resigning and closing the doors of the church because he just believed that God had something else for him and that the church just wasn't effectively doing what it needed to do. And so he resigned. But at the end of the night... It became this marvelous sense of peace and understanding that God has something for us, something more. This isn't the end. You know, we forget sometimes the church is not an organization. It is an organism. It's alive. All of you are alive in Christ. As a result of what Jesus did when he died on the cross for you, you are alive in him. And we should rest in a confidence that he is working and serving and doing for us. Our hearts, where is your heart this morning? These verses are helping us to know that we have success. Where's our heart and what is our heart? When I was in high school, there was a guy who was two years older than me, and he got a brand new basketball for Christmas. And we loved basketball, all of us. That's what we, that was our thing we played. And when he got a new ball, we're all like, this is awesome. (laughs) This is great. But then all of a sudden, he began to make rules about the ball. Okay, guys, it's raining, so we can't go out and play on the court until it dries. (laughs) Okay, guys, you can't can't let it get into the grass because it's going to get smudged with mud. And so he started being so worried about the ball that pretty soon he just says, okay, you guys, you, you don't get it. And he put the ball in his bag and took it home. And none of us got to enjoy any basketball at all because he was worried about his stupid ball. What's the point of the ball? To play. What's the point of Christ coming into your life? Remember what he said? I have come to give you life more abundantly. Take your ball out of the bag and let's play. Let's enjoy the life that God has given to us. And let's find success as a window that we look through and see the marvelous blessings of God. You say, well, you know, you've swung and missed for a third time, and I am not getting any of this. Instead, my life is broken. I don't mean to be flipped, but a month ago I preached a sermon on uh, what to do when life doesn't work. So go see Diane and get the CD. But this morning, let's celebrate the good things that God has done in our hearts and in our lives. And let's examine our souls and see what is going on. Remember what was said at the very beginning in verse 15. Christ is concerned about our attitude. Christ is concerned about our attitude, not with what we get. The initial question or the initial statement was, divide the inheritance, be the arbiter. And God says, that's not what I'm here for. Instead, I'm here to look at your heart and see if it is right. There is a legend in India about a mouse who was terrified of cats until he met a magician who agreed to turn him into a cat. 
all was well and he had no fear until he met a dog. So he went back to the magician and the magician changed the mouse, turned to cat into a dog. And again, everything was well until he met a tiger. And then he went to the magician and this mouse turned cat, turned dog, said, make me a tiger. And the magician did. He made him a tiger. And all was well until the tiger met, you guessed it, a hunter. (laughs) And then he went back to the magician and the magician said, listen, I am not going to change you again. Instead, I'm going to make you a mouse because you have the body of a tiger, but the heart of a mouse. And this morning... I hope that you have the heart of a tiger who has fastened their hope to what it is that God has done and will do in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and for your grace. And Lord, we ask that wherever we are this morning, that we would find great, sufficient solace in your scripture And that it will return into the places and into the hearts of each one that is here today. Please shadow my words and allow your words to be there. So that we draw comfort and hope and satisfaction in what it is that you say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Have a great week.